Hello and uh, welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host uh, for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. We will do our best to answer your questions live and certainly get back to it after the show. It's my privilege to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's a regular contributor to many uh, publications, including uh, Harvard Business Review and ZDNet and others. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, welcome. Happy Friday here with my co-host, Bala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist of Salesforce, and more importantly, one of the top followers on CIOs, and CMOs on Twitter, a publisher himself in terms of his book, and more importantly, one of the friendliest guys here to meet on Twitter and on the show. So happy Friday. But hey, we've got a great list of guests um, this week. Uh, who do we have, uh, starting with uh, our first guest? It's, uh, we have an incredible lineup and we start, it's a privilege for us to have Dan Pontefract, author, speaker, and thinker, and chief envisioner. I thought I had a great, cool title, but I'm second, long distance second to chief envisioner at TELUS. TELUS is a Canadian telecommunication company and Dan's responsibility is he leads the transformation office, a future of work consulting group that helps organizations enhance their corporate culture, and collaboration practices. Previously as the Chief Learning Officer, another amazing title, Dan introduced a new leadership framework called the TELUS Leadership Philosophy that dramatically helped to increase the company's employee engagement to record levels of nearly 90%. He's an author of three books, and we're gonna learn about his new book that just came out September 11th, I believe, Open to Think, The Purpose Effect, and Flat Army, all three must-read books. A renowned speaker, Dan, presented at four different TED events, and he also writes for Forbes, Harvard Business Review, and Huffington Post. He's an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria and has garnered more than 20 industry awards throughout his career. He's an amazing follow on Twitter at D-P-O-N-T-E-F-R-A-C-T. Welcome, Dan, to the Shrub TV. I'm in between two icons. I mean, it's the happiest Friday ever. This is great. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot. Hey, I really love the narrative of your book, Open to Think. And, and part of it is, you know, we're, we're at the back of, remember the long view with Peter Schwartz, trying to think in the long term. Um, I'm taught writing a book about disrupting EBITDA and extreme EBITDA, the short-term thinking that's going on. We've lived in a world of standardized tests. Um, you're basically saying we're losing the ability to think, right? Um, what do you blame? Who do you blame um, for this, you know, piece of, you know, where we are today and, and this dearth of deep thinking. Ray, where do we start? We've only got a couple minutes here, but I think we really have to look in the mirror first. Uh, we have done some weird things to ourselves and we're not disciplined enough to stop those things that we're doing. So for example, uh, I, we all love social media around this table, right? But for some reason we are now addicted to dopamine. Yes. And I the dopamine, <laughs> right? Yeah. So whether you're pulling down on the slot machine of your phone or you're looking for the next red dot that says you've got 18 likes on a tweet or an Instagram post you put out there, that addiction to dopamine is causing us to be distracted from real deep thinking. 
Hold and on. And I, I got to look at there. Yeah, look <laughs> at that. Your own two boom boxes right there from the Apple launch, right? So we got to look in the mirror first, I say, Ray. First, that, that's number one. So uh, you, you had an amazing TED talk where you talked about a goldfish has a, a attention span of nine seconds, but we humans are now at eight seconds, which was stunning. Uh, so you talked uh, about balancing action and reflection, looking up and out and looking down and in. And you had uh, a guidance for us in terms of how we can, I guess, bolster our attention span muscle. And you said, dream, decide, do, and repeat. Can you expand on that principle for us? Yeah, I mean, if I could uh, suggest that to be a hashtag for the ages, I would. Dream, decide, do, repeat. So, Valo, there's what we, we, we don't do anymore. We've forgotten, at least to a degree, all of us, how to dream, when to dream, and our decisions are quite uh, blunt, or we, we skip right past it because we, we don't believe in fact, we, we love opinion and hearsay, and we then jump to action. So here's my point. Uh, the best people that I interviewed for this book were actually artists, and artists like hat milliners, the people who make hats, or musicians, or chefs. I think the best interviews I had were chefs because they reminded me of how they make their meals. So they, they got to be inspired. They need to be creative thinkers. So they have to go for walks. They've got to go to museums. They talk to butchers and farmers and patrons, but they're slowly building up the competence of ideas. And then they've got to come up with the meal. They're like, oh, so what pairing do I do? What budget do I have? What type of season is it? And so they're making these decisions judiciously and, and theoretically, but of course, we've all been to Michelin five-star restaurants, right? They're great. Why are they great? Because in the kitchen, they're doing it based on the good creative and the good critical thinking that came beforehand. But here's the kicker. Like in our world of tech or wherever we are, things change. So in a kitchen, maybe you've got 15 people that showed up unexpectedly, they all want prime rib, but you don't have enough prime rib. What do you do? Maybe five people came in with a nut allergy and you got to shut down the kitchen. What do you do? Yep. You repeat. You go back to dreaming and deciding. And unfortunately, in our always on, always busy culture of freneticism, we are skipping over the dreaming and the deciding in favor of lots of doing. And that to me is frightening as a kind of a corporate sociologist. I see corporate ADD happening everywhere. Wow. That's like my whole life in motion. Um, <laughs> By the way, I love your popcorn analogy. And I love the fact that you talk about pressures corporations put on us when they say do more with less. So there's this, this force that creates that sense of urgency or the, as you said, addicted to the busyness pill that uh you know that we have to recognize so being mindful anyway your talk was brilliant go ahead ray sorry no I, no it was, it was brilliant and and i think the ability and the even the time to think is now a luxury right we're losing that all across the board and you mentioned something that really resonated with me which which is really being able to recapture that white space let's go a little mm. bit deeper on that white space comment because i think i think we don't have time to have white space and with ai and automation I, the, the whole idea was to give us more time to think but i think it's actually working in the opposite direction all this automation and technology it is the worst dripping irony story of the ages isn't it 
You know, the, the proclivity of technology to sort our woes of not having a time balance is in fact doing the exact opposite. It's just, it's madness. So I agree, Ray, like the white space component is where leaders need to step up. So for example, uh, when we say do more with less, of all this point about my most loathed term, and my second most, most loathed term, by the way, is fail fast, fail often. This, this notion of every minute has to be calendarized in a meeting. So you look at people's schedules these days, and it's just a lot of action. It's a lot of meetings, it's lots of doing, it's lots of project completion, and you gotta get everything done by yesterday. So if leaders, however, uh, reminded themselves that some of the greatest ideas happened because we had the white space and the brainstorming and the pause, like Edison, let's talk about Edison. Oh, so yeah. a hero of mine, but it took 9,000 failures to get the light bulb right. <laughs> did, did anyone pressure Edison to do more with less? Right? He, didn't, he didn't have activist investors and shareholders. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but that's actually you know, pushing square it. activists, you know. <laughs> and you touched on something that is the other bane to my existence, and that is the relationship between freneticism and busyness and just being distracted and do more with less is actually related to the term you just cheekily put in there, which is short termism. Because when, when our organizations are fixated on just the quarter and not the long term or the long view or the clock of the long now, uh, what happens? Everyone is fixated on the quarter and there's no white space, brother. There's absolutely none. No, and, and they're effed because they're focusing on financial innovations, which is really different. And in the life cycle of organizations, you have a mission and purpose that should withstand time. You have a team that should withstand um, time because of how you actually build them. You have products and offerings and you have markets. And, and those are all being crushed. Um, and, and you're definitely right. But, but you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm, I'm work, I've slept in like four hours. I've slept four hours every night for like the last, I don't know, 10 years. So, and you still look 20 years younger than me. Um, <laughs> and, and for our audience, when Ray say F, he means failing. Failing, um, failing. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so the, but you must live in this delicious paradox, Dan, because you work for an incredibly innovative company. And I have visited your innovation labs at TELUS where you've got, like, it, it seems like a startup accelerated, like three to 400 young, vibrant, diverse group building incredible apps, building AI capabilities into all the services and products that TELUS provides, and the velocity, the speed and direction that TELUS demonstrates to me when I'm there is, is, is one of really fast, super hyper innovative company. So how do you, as a chief envisioning officer, bring that balance of sometimes you need to go slow to go fast? How do you do that in a company that's moving as fast as TELUS? Well, first of all, I'm blessed to work in an organization that about a decade ago decided to change its culture yeah. such that it could balance reflection with action. So you, you allude to a group called TELUS Digital. It's a hive of design thinkers that have been empowered to create the white space to build out digital solutions for our organization. And that comes from leadership, though, right? I mean, if our engagement scores weren't almost 90%, it would be because it would be 10 years ago when they were in the low 50s and leaders weren't opening their minds to what an engaged, open, slow thinking type of organization is and the behaviors and antics that go with it in order to actually get things done on time 
to grow revenues, to go rebidda, and so forth. But I'll say this in, in sort of closing to my point, shareholder return and good profits are an outcome of the culture that we've created at TELUS. So many organizations get it bizarrely wrong. They go for shareholder return and profitability at the expense of the employee's health. And that's not the equation. That's absolutely, Ray, I was there at like 6 p.m. and it was like the stock trading floor. And I'm like, why is it so active at 6 p.m.? You know, it, it's, they, oh, wow. it felt like they all wanted to be there. It, and well, it was, was refreshing. It was really cool. I was with Sean Mandel as well. I was like, yeah, I, was yeah, sitting, I was visiting that war room with all the design thinking, the three different camps he's got yeah. up there, right? He, he just brought in bagels. I mean, I was just crazy. I mean, people were so intense, right? And it looked like they had the time to actually think out an idea, debate it, argue it, get deep into the meat of it, come back, cool. research it. Right, but yeah, it was nice. I haven't seen and, that in a long yeah. time. So, and Sean and that Telus Digital team are the embodiment, the epitome of fifty thousand people across this organization. So, I have the privilege of being a team member within this organization that allows that to occur. My, uh, after having left the chief learning officer role five years ago, I started this outfit to help other organizations that are clients and customers of Telus to quote see the light. So, I mean, I'm just in a perfect situation. Okay. No, that's awesome. So, so you've got some learnings. You've been studying this for a while. I mean, look, you know, we've, we've, we've all been trying to solve these big problems about how to get um, change to work, how to get that, you know, how to get the teams motivated, engaged. So how can we actually optimize our thinking to be more creative, more efficient, more effective? Like, what are some things that people are doing? Uh, a couple come to mind, first of all, uh, and I think we've touched on this, but very distinctly, it's time. Uh, if we're not in control of our time, i.e. we're not taking back our time to build in creative thinking moments, to build in decision-making moments, and if we're just always doing, we will never get more creative or, or better with our decision-making. And, and leaders, ultimately, in my opinion, guys, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their team members to help them see the light of how important time is. It is our number one resource and asset in an organization. Number two would be focus. So I, I touched on the dopamine addiction, right? Like think about whatever you use, like Mozilla, IE, Chrome, I don't care. It's defaulted these days on your laptop to like these notifications popping in all over your screen, right? Yeah. And so you're like trying to do quote deep work. Maybe it's PowerPoint or Google Doc or something, right? And you're, you're doing, but you're thinking at the same moment about what decisions should I do with this report, da, da, da. But then you're like, poom, 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 poom. Like you're getting hammered. So if you're not in charge of your focus as well, you're never going to be able to do really good doing. And that's where some of our work suffers as well. So if I could just give two top real simple tips, take control of your time, win back your time, as I say, and win back your focus. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing is like that damn Wi-Fi on planes, that destroyed everything. That used to be the time I actually got all my work done. Now I'm just responding to emails. You're completely right. Notification, workflow. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, Ray, you're, you're, but you're looking in the mirror now and saying, just because it's there doesn't mean I need to pay the 12 bucks or whatever it is with oh, uh, no, I bought Google. the subscription. I bought the subscription. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> Well, I'm actually happy when it doesn't work sometimes because I can catch up on movies. But anyway, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a part of creativity for me is kind of stepping away from work a bit. Um, can you give us some example success stories where, you know, a team or a company stepped back a little bit 
and it led to some great creative thinking? Well, I mean, your organization did a pretty good job at that, Bala, right? I mean, under Benioff, right? I mean, somewhat obviously, they were in that very fast-paced garage mentality when it first came up. And then what Mark did in the team, right, um, as the story goes, they sort of had to take a step back and say, well, if we do want to grow, what's our culture going to look like? So not to blow smoke up Salesforce's butt here, but they have actually been one of the great high-tech examples of stepping back and saying, what are we doing? Um, I would argue if there's, if you go back to the, the idea of who do you emulate, um, honestly, I go, I go back to a musician. Like, where, why are musicians, why are they so cool, like, if you will? Well, it really begs the question, what are they doing to get to a concert? Like, what steps have they taken? Well, they need music, but how do they get to the music? Well, they need lyrics, how do they get to the lyrics? It's all a process of that dream, decide, do, repeat. So, you know, you guys have heroes. My heroes I look to are those artists, those musicians, those chefs. And, and the people that have always been doing this are those individuals. And we should pay homage to the hat milliners, the people who create hats in the old-fashioned way. Why? Well, those are my heroes. Those are the examples to look to in our frenetic corporate ADD space that have said to us all along, well, I got into the art because I know the importance of creative and critical thinking first, and I'm not just gonna live in a world of doing. So if more of us in the high-tech, telecom, business, CPG world were to look up to artists, I think we'd be in a much better place society-wise. That's awesome. By the way, you were sporting a killer hat on your TED Talk, so, (laughs) and, I have to cover up the bald head. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> and Ray, you and I need to uh, get the 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 uh, the uh, dream. Uh, come on, remind me again. Uh, dream decide to repeat. Exactly. We got to get that. We got to get that trending on Twitter. So, no, so we definitely have to do that. And, yeah. <laughs> and so real quick, um, just one last thing. I mean, when we think about you know, uh, not just not just this time to think, and how do you get this codified in the culture? Right, because in a culture of performance reviews, like, did you think long enough? It's definitely not one of the questions you get in a performance review. So, right, okay. So let's 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 look at a couple examples here. So both of them kind of in the valley. Um, what did Theranos do wrong? Theranos jumped to conclusions, were unethical in many of those decisions, and everyone was just doing until whistleblower pops up, who happened to be Schultz, and said, "We're actually." unethical in what we're doing. That was jumping without thinking, somewhat obviously. Mm. Now, what about Netflix? Netflix has 10 values. The first one is called judgment. And judgment is really simple. It says, put decisions in the hands of yourself that for the best interest of the consumer, right? Nope. But then they have a critical thinking, decision-making guidebook that helps employees see how we make decisions in this organization. And that, to me, is how you codify. You build it into the culture through training, through development, through coaching, through rotations. And as new folks come into your org, it's then, oh, we've always done this. We are a critical thinking or an open thinking organization. So don't be like Theranos and be more like a Netflix who actually put it into the culture, into the values, and then they learn from it time and time again. And I got to tell you, given the political environment in the U.S., open to think should be mandatory reading for anyone who votes. 
<laughs> we are here live with Dan Pontefract, author, speaker, thinker, chief and visioner at TELUS. You can follow him at D-P-O-N-T-E-R-F-R-A-C-T. And thank you so much for being on the show. Get his new book, Open to Think, available on Amazon and where books are sold. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank, thank you, you boys. Love it. Take care. Ciao. Thank you. Happy Friday, man. Crushed it. Happy Crushed it. He's going to have fun GTA today. Hey, so <laughs> this is good, right? We got to get time to think. You and I are like busy, so busy all the time. I'm not even sure. Like, I, I'm, I'm literally blocking on my calendar now time to think. Let's time to think. That. Let's yeah, talk about people who do think. Even the fact that you fly a million miles a year, I would think you'd have plenty of time to think. But and you know what? Investors need time to think. And we're going to have an opportunity to learn uh, from Kara Egan, Senior Associate in Emergence Capital. Kara loves the uncertainty and challenge of bringing new companies and products to life. She brings over 10 years of experience growing tech startups as both investor and operator. Kara actively involved with uh, Emergence Portfolio and is a board observer at Upkeep Top Hat Zinc. Her expertise in the B2B product and partner marketing from seed stage companies through to IPO. Kara enjoyed, uh, joined Zendex prior to going public to help the company expand up market from SMB to mid market to enterprise company. She was a founding associate of 406 Ventures. At 406, Kara played an integral role in launching the firm, raising a $170 million fund and driving initial investment in SaaS, health IT, and security companies. An extraordinary person. Please follow Kara on Twitter at K-A-R-A underscore E-G-A-N. Welcome, Kara, to Disrupt TV. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're like, you're like kind of a deep thinker. And I was looking at your report here on empowering the deskless workforce with technology. And, and think about it. Like, yeah, I'm on the road all the time. I do feel like a deskless workforce, right? Mm -hmm. So what, what do you mean by deskless workforce for people that are getting up to speed on this? Um, mm -hmm. And really talking about how technology is changing and really enabling these group of workers to be super effective. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved listening to Dan talk. And one of the things we try to do at Emergence is really have investment themes and really think about where the world is going and what's that going to look like. And what's interesting when you mention yourself, um, this theme, initially we used to call it mobile. Um, and what we ended up getting was actually a lot of mobile optimized desk software, right? Oh, so software wow. for people like you who mostly <laughs> maybe sit at a desk. Um, and really we want to actually empower the deskless workforce. So this year was kind of the first year that we changed that that language and really what we're trying to talk about is the 80% of the workforce that doesn't sit behind a desk. And so that is like categories that you would normally think of like manufacturing, tech, transportation, retail, hospitality, construction, agriculture, but it also includes things like healthcare um, and education as well. So mobile is not about a device. It's about doing things in motion. It's about the in-between time. You're, you're taking it away from that physical object. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that there's a lot more technology now. It's not just about tablets and tablets and mobile phones have definitely helped with that. But some of like the really cool stuff that we're seeing, you know, in agriculture, there's companies like Ceres Imaging that yep. uses drones or crop dusters to kind of look across a farm um, and see where there might be water stress and help farmers more optimize their um, irrigation systems. Or like another cool company that's in our portfolio um, is called Drishti. And um, it's in the manufacturing space. And I think a lot of people, as we think about automation, we're really concerned, you know, transportation, manufacturing, that's all going to get automated. Um, and what was interesting about our survey when we went out and talked to a bunch of buyers, 
um, of technology in these deathless workforce industries. Um, transportation and manufacturing were actually the top two that were most looking to invest in the deathless, deathless employee. Um, overall, we found that 82% of respondents planned on increasing their investment. Um, and and Drishti is kind of a really cool example in the manufacturing space. You consider that this is all going to be robots, and really it's not. It's majority people. A lot of what they're doing is really tactical and changing all the time as the lines are changing and technology is changing. Um, and so what it actually does is has um, computer vision sit above the line workers and watch the motions of all of the people. Um, wow. And they can coach them in real time and say, hey, you missed a step. So it's great for QA and other things. I remember that pitch. What is it? It's about percentage points, not basis points. It was pretty <laughs> cool. So. so given the growth in machine learning and, and neural networks, uh, visioning technology, Internet of Things, mm -hmm. um, smart robotics, uh, yeah. and 80 some odd percent. So that represents billions of workers. Fast forward 10 years from now, what percentage do you think will be deskless? Oh, Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure that the amount will change necessarily. I think it will still be about 80%. I don't see why, why that would necessarily shift it. Um, I mean, I haven't fully read this report, but there's a report that just said something about uh, either 50 or 60% of all tasks could be automated today, but the role of automation is actually going to increase by 60 million jobs. Wow. So there's yeah. more jobs that are going to be out there. There's more things that we're going to be able to do. Right. Production might just be faster. Like, I just don't think the jobs are going away. And I also don't necessarily think that it's that automation is going to shift more people into desk jobs, um, right. but it definitely could. And like another investment theme that we have is around coaching networks. And it's the idea of using AI and ML to really um, augment, sometimes I misspeak and say <laughs> automate, sure. Sure. <laughs> augment uh, and accelerate human learners. And that's an area where we actually do think you could turn more people maybe in the middle in, in areas that necessarily aren't so, you know, with Salesforce, and it's more concentrated on the coasts, um, but there's great salespeople everywhere. Right. Um, part of the challenge is you want to make sure that you're training them and ramping them, and how do you kind of get that management layer in there? And we actually think technology can be a great way of doing that. So coaching networks is, is another investment theme that we have, and it's around the idea of helping people um, in real time while they're doing their job get coaching. So um, a company we have in this in the sales space is Chorus. And so you could technically be anywhere. Um, and basically the computer acts as the coach or the manager helping you get better and listening to your calls and all of it's very passive, um, which is great because you know we're trying to move away from technology where we're kind of a slave to it and we're putting all the information in and really having it collect the information for us like a Drishti or a Chorus would do. Great yeah, no, of course, it's very interesting. Putting conversational into play, having AI, NLP engines pop in, uh, definitely very interesting. And it's really transforming the workforce. Do you have um, investment theses that also look at aging workforce and that replacement problem that uh, advanced economies actually have to work on? Yeah, I don't, we don't have a specific investment theme around it. Um, but I mean, obviously I think a big part of technology adoption that you're also seeing in the dustless workforce is driven, is being driven by this changing population. So, you know, the millennial workforce or under is greater than 50% of that workforce right now. Um, and they are used to adopting technology. They're used to having technology. If they don't have it, they kind of think that their company is dated. Um, actually as part of our dustless work workforce survey, we actually surveyed some end users. Um, and we actually found some interesting stats there too, which was that the majority of them um, actually use more technology outside of their work than they do inside their work. And um, I think, let me, I can pull up the exact number, but 43% of them have actually recommended technology to their employer. 
So they're actually kind of pushing technology into these industries you haven't typically seen it. Um, interestingly though, about the aging population, we, we looked at this obviously at a demographic level, so we thought that maybe we would see this trend a little bit higher when it was the younger um, employees, but actually the older ones felt that they were tech savvy as well. So I think that there's just kind of a, an assumption we have about this workforce and really because technology is really everywhere in the home and, right. and in their um, other lives, like they're actually pretty savvy and we kind of are making assumptions that are probably incorrect. No, and one of our, our, one of our analysts, Alan Leposky, talks about this all the time in employee experience, right? It's mm -hmm. five generations of digital workers, but it's mm -hmm. not by age, right? It's how well you understand the technology and mm -hmm. how likely you use it that creates mm -hmm. digital proficiency. And yeah. in this deskless workforce, um, it's been ignored by the venture community. Why? Uh, Great question. Um, I don't have the perfect answer for it, but I actually do think a bit of it comes from kind of a little bit of the diversity problem we have out here. Um, you see VC really kind of on the coast, on the East Coast or the West Coast, right. and that tends to be technological hubs, financial hubs, healthcare. And so we tend to be almost like disconnected from this workforce a bit. Um, I think we saw it a little bit in the election this year, just kind of understanding really what drives the American workforce. Um, and so I think there's a bit of that. We're starting, um, obviously, to to expand that, you know, part of this report that we did was to kind of say, hey, look, the buyers are here, the users are ready, like, come on, industry, let's, let's kind of bridge the gap. Um, so hopefully there'll be more investment. I mean, I came from a private, uh, private product marketing background. Um, and I mean, you know that you really have to get into the, the hearts and the minds and the daily lives of your users. And I think as VC, sometimes we, we tend to think about, well, would I use that? Um, and that's not necessarily a good proxy because the VC no. industry is a pretty small industry. <laughs> I don't think we should really be the buyers of uh, most, most things. We want to go after much, much bigger markets. Um, so I think we're seeing some good stuff. I mean, we're seeing um, different VCs in the middle, other parts of the country. Um, there is Drive in the Midwest. Uh, Kaufman Foundation is doing a lot to kind of encourage more um, VCs in different parts of the country. Um, and then we have a, a company that we're, we're close to with called High Alpha, and they're in Indianapolis. And what they try to do is really work closely with, um, with companies inside or in their area and kind of partner with them to think about what solutions would, would help them, would help their workforce and kind of bring the technology piece, right? I think we have a lot of people that are kind of founder problem fit. Um, and that doesn't necessarily work in, in an industry of maybe manufacturing or agriculture or hospitality where there might not be as many engineers there, right? And so what High Alpha does is really kind of couple um, ideas with the technologists who can bring it to life. And it's been really cool to see some of the, the ideas that have come out of their venture, venture incubator. True, and Brad Kuo and Lightbank and... Uh... I think a whole bunch of Hyde Park Ventures as well out in the Midwest. There's a couple out there. Yeah. A couple of uh, World Economic Reports just referencing to some of your insights. Yeah, I think last week they, they predicted that 50% uh, of work tasks can be automated or will be automated by yeah. 2025. They also noted by next year, a third of the human population will be 18 years or younger. So the Gen Z. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm speaking Canadian now since Dan. <laughs> um, so expect, they expect a different experience. And in fact, you, your, your research pointed to the main driver for buying technology, not surprisingly, was productivity. But the second was employee experience. Mm -hmm. And I can think about, you know, college graduates joining the workforce and mobile and social and, and they want uh, a, whole, they have a whole different set of expectations, perhaps. Can you talk a little bit about 
the, the employee experience or the user experience driving the tech investment thesis? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think we saw this before with the consumerization of IT, um, but you're definitely seeing it um, in these more deskless workforce as well, right? Um, and also because the mobile phone, I mean, I think the mobile phone is probably one of the biggest drivers of that. Like everyone has technology and they actually have it right there with them. I think one of the, the one challenges we've actually kind of seen a little bit with that is depending on the industry, they actually don't want to pay for a phone for everybody. <laughs> so even though the phone is there and it would help them do their job. Um, ah! maybe, yeah, exactly. maybe you could help them out, send them a few. Um, Buy a phone. Bring as a museum of phones, yes. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think employees want want to feel empowered. They want to work in modern um, workplaces. And what's also interesting about the dustless um, workforce is actually there's a lot of turnover here. And so I think keeping employees is really important. So, I mean, in retail and hospitality, I think the turnover sometimes can be, and even manufacturing at times, can be almost 100%, right, in, over the course of a year. And so you really want to be mindful about kind of how do you retain, but also how do you develop employees. And I think technology can be a really great way of um, ramping people and bringing them up to speed and kind of being... Um, an enabler of people to not only enter, but also feel really valuable right away. Um, and, it, and it really helps the learning curve there. So I think we're seeing it on both ends in terms of being a draw that people want to work at places that are considered modern um, and that are, are thinking about helping their employee and, and empowering them. And then also I think actually like just even if you had the turnover, it would still be helpful to. Have <laughs> well, let's let's tie that back to DNI. DNI, diversity and inclusion, one of the topest, mm -hmm. hottest topics in uh, boardrooms today. Um, yeah. Definitely one of the topics we're covering at, uh, you know, talking about boards and, and board diversity at uh, Constellations Connected Enterprise event. It's our it's our conference in October. Um, let's talk about this and, and really importance of diversity uh, in helping identify and solve these problems. We always talk about diversity of disciplines as well as along with diversity of, you know, in the traditional sense. Uh, but mm -hmm. how does this help people actually think about innovation? What are the trends that are happening here in the Valley? Hopefully, hopefully we've got some good trends, who knows, um, <laughs> compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing more and more, I think, um, the importance of diversity everywhere, right? And just as I mentioned, in terms of making sure that we're investing in technology that supports other groups and populations that we might not be thinking about. I also think we're seeing in the venture industry that there is kind of a change where people want to make sure that they're incorporating different different viewpoints and different ideas. And I think that that's absolutely critical. Um, it's critical to help kind of spur innovation. I mean, if you look at a lot of the studies around kind of I mean, I spend a lot of time on the gender issue, um, but it also is reflected in underrepresented minorities as well. Um, we're just not investing enough in women, right? And there's kind of multiple ways to maybe address that. And I think you can kind of address it all the way um, through. So I think on the venture side, making sure that we're being more inclusive and we're having more women to help kind of bring that different perspective in, right? Like, as I said, it's important to get your your yourselves in the minds of the customer. And I think that sometimes it can be hard, I mean, to get yourself ramped and up to speed. So when there is, um, you know, we looked at a technology earlier this year called Maven um, Health Clinic for Women. And, you know, it was helpful that I could kind of speak to that personal experience. Like one of the, the rare times I was probably the buyer um, of that product. So um, I think that was really helpful. And I think Always is doing a great job of trying to bring more women into the industry. But I also think until that happens, because you have to have a open rack or something, we can do other more um, 
more actionable steps today. So um, Google has amazing um, unconscious bias training that's available to everybody. Um, and so we here watched it and kind of had a better dialogue around what, where unconscious bias might creep in when making investments. Um, we also had a women's event where we're kind of helping. We brought together 50 B2B women um, starting SaaS companies and kind of gave them the tools to be more successful around management and culture and organization as well as negotiation. Um, and that was a great opportunity for us also just to kind of step back and, and look at if we want to invest in more women, how do we look at our own pipeline? Um, right. And we had reached out to a bunch of people to say, hey, hey, give us, give us wonderful, talented women. And some people in our pipeline didn't have anyone to recommend. And the people that actually had a lot more people to recommend um, tended to be more diverse. And so it was just kind of a nice moment for all of us to kind of stop and and look at how we might want to think about our own pipeline and how we would build that. And then third, I think as VC investors, we have a lot of responsibility. We're shaping the future workforce of the world um, and kind of taking that responsibility seriously and saying, as you mentioned on the board, like how do we have women on the boards of these companies? Are we, are we hiring and promoting women at the same rate? Are we addressing the wage gap? You know, and I think that investors have an opportunity to kind of really help encourage that um, and say it is important and it's okay to take some time to think about that back to like the time to think, right? It's like we're all trying to do, do, do. And maybe it's, it's good for us to kind of be like, hey, we're the ones who are doing the thinking for you. But it's important to make sure that you have diversity in your workforce. I think when I was visiting Vala in Boston, I think we, we both woke up and said, holy crap, we're, we're in charge now. How did that happen? Right? We used to be like working for people, doing stuff. We're in charge now. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Great shout out to Catherine at Maven. They're doing yeah. great stuff. Love her. So. Yeah, she's awesome. She's it, awesome. It, it, you know, you've, you've been a strong advocate of growing a number of women in the you know, startup workforce. And, and you're, very, you're very specific about, you know, look at your hiring practice, make sure... You're getting women across all types of roles in the company. You talked about salaries and being conscious of the pay gap. And you also talked about promotions where women are promoted uh, slower than men. So you should track the, the, the career path and be uh, mindful of, of uh, the, the pay gap, the promotion rate, and so on and so forth. So as a, let's say a startup founder, a, a part of maybe a portfolio company, I come to you and say, Cara, give me one piece of advice so that I can be successful championing gender diversity, equality. Like, what should I be thinking about? And, and what's the one uh, factor that's limiting the number of women in the startup workforce? Or is it one thing? Maybe it's not one thing. Maybe, maybe it's <laughs> I mean, the four, exactly five, six things you mentioned. Thing. Um, honestly, I would say, again, I can't encourage that Google unbiased training enough. I just think it helps set this framework and it does encourage you to measure something. And if you're not measuring something, you don't kind of know measuring. what you're trying to improve. And so it's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be black and white in terms of pay gap and all their stuff. But as long as you start and start to think about it, I think that that's kind of the first right step. And one of the things that we're trying to do here at Emergence um, is like we understand that you know time and money are the scarcest resources for an entrepreneur. And there's an under like I understand how like when you're trying to hire for that role and and someone recommends somebody, you know that that's a better connection and you go with it. But um, that's kind of how we we end up down this path because you know the people around you maybe aren't as diverse and and therefore who they're recommending aren't and and so one of the things we're working on here we have a great new head of talent called Tam called named Tammy Han uh, is kind of saying hey like how about we take on that responsibility how about we go and make sure we find you the most incredibly diverse talent and we'll bring that to you 
So we understand like we'll be the ones who, who kind of take that on because we're passionate and we care and we have this incredible network and we're constantly broadening it. Um, and so we're going to try to do our best to kind of make that easier because I understand how this all happens. Um, there's also technology to help you. We have a company, Textio, Absolutely. that's incredible, um, as well as Blendor does a great job with this. So you can kind of leverage technology as well. Wow, this is great. We, can, we can't get enough. <laughs> we could have so, devoted an hour to this topic. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, you know, we, if, if you're free, we'll, we'll send an open invite to our conference. It's the 22nd to 25th. It's in Half Moon Bay. It's awesome. our uh, customer event. We definitely got a panel on boards. And uh, we're talking about technology and technology diversity on boards. The fact that boards don't have an opening. There's a, definitely a spot there to talk, but love to have you there. Uh, awesome. Open invite. We are following Kara Egan, investor in Emergence Capital. More importantly, you can follow her at Kara underscore Egan and some of the cool investments she's making, some of the cool topics around the deskless workforce and what's going on with diversity and inclusion in the Valley. Thanks for uh, being on the show and happy Friday. So. Yeah, same to you. Thank you guys so much. This was wonderful. You're terrific. Thank you so much. Time to think, man. We're going to need lots of time to think after this show. <laughs> Holy crap. And, and we still haven't gotten to our next two guests. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is why, uh, you know, this is our favorite hour of the week uh, because we get to meet with extraordinary people and uh, get ready. This is the cleanup hitter spot. This is where you come in and hit a grand slam, uh, Marcy and David. So uh, no pressure. But, uh, <laughs> let me start with the introductions and I'll do both introductions and we'll jump into the discussion. Uh, uh, we welcome Marcy Harris, CEO and co-founder co of PopVox. Uh, a platform for legislative information, civic engagement, and tools for policymakers. Uh, Marcy's a former congressional staffer and lawyer. Uh, she said that her first startup was a town where she led Jackson, Tennessee, rebuilding effort following a 2003 tornado. In 2018, she led the People Centered Internet's work on digital Puerto Rico policy recommendations for the island's recovery plan. She serves on the board of PCI. She was named by Fast Company Top 100 Most Creative People in Business, received Tribeca Film Festival's Award for Creative Disruption, and was listed as DC Tech Titans by Washington. Uh, she was inaugural Technology and Dem uh, Democracy Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School Ash Center and New America California Fellow in 2017. Uh, welcome, Marcy, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Bob. You got the long bio. <laughs> I did. She's a, she's a slacker. But... And, and Dave, you're gonna, Dave, you're gonna have to follow that. Good luck. <laughs> my mother thanks you. <laughs> uh, we're also. It's a privilege for us to have uh, Dr. David Bray, Executive Director of People Centered uh, Coalition, and People Centered Internet Coalition, and faculty focus on impact and disruption at Singularity University. Business Insider named uh, Dr. Bray one of the top 24 Americans who are changing the world under 40. That's pretty awesome. He was also named Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum for 2016 to 2021. He was named Marshall Memorial Fellow and traveled to Europe to discuss transatlantic issues of common concern, including exponential technologies and the global future ahead. You can follow his organization's work on Twitter at PCI underscore initiative. Welcome back, Dr. Bray, to uh, Disrupt TV. Thanks for having me, Val and Ray. It's great to be here. Happy Friday. Uh, full disclosure, I'm on the board of the People Centered Internet as well, and I get to serve with these guys uh, doing some really cool stuff. But let's talk about People Centered Internet. What is this coalition? What are you guys trying to achieve, or what am I trying to achieve with you guys? <laughs> 
So I'll go first, and then I'll hand it to Marcy. Uh, it's, it's the People-Centered Internet Coalition was created by Maylin Fung, uh, who is sort of the godmother of CRM, Customer Relationship Management, and Vint Cerf, who was one of the co-creators of the internet. And together, their vision with the People-Centered Internet Coalition was that we could do demonstration projects that measurably improve people's lives using the internet. Uh, you heard a little bit earlier today talking about how we're increasingly becoming distracted, how technology may be taking away from our time to think. Uh, and you can also just look around the world and there's other challenges we're facing. Uh, challenges of increasing polarization, challenges of misinformation online. Good news is anyone can print whatever they want. The challenging news is anyone can print whatever they want. And so there's all these third order and fourth order social effects of the technology on communities and societies that really what we want to do is try to bring people together and espouse what Doug Engelbart uh, 50 years ago when he gave the mother of all demos at DARPA sort of saw with the internet, which was it could bring together different groups of people to collaborate and coexist as opposed to pulling us apart. And so that's really what we seek to do with the people-centered internet. Wow. So you and Marcy just go after relatively simple problems to solve and address. <laughs> Marcy, do you want to say a little bit about what you do with uh, Puerto Rico and the challenges there? You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, it's it's as Ray said, it's it's really a network. So uh, People Centered Internet is, of course, founded by uh, Maylin and and Vint and and led ably by David. But what what brought me in and made me so interested is the, is this uh, the, the amazing founders, but also the the extensive network around the world of people who are working on important problems and have this very strong sense of responsibility and concern and optimism, but uh, tempered with uh, with you know some reflection about tech's role in the world and the the big discussions that we need to be having now. Uh, as David mentioned, uh, we worked a bit on uh, recommendations as Puerto Rico was pulling together its recovery plan, uh, which it submitted to Congress. And of course, that involved, uh, there were many teams working on many pieces of the recovery plan, transportation, education, et cetera. Uh, our specific recommendations fell under the umbrella of digital Puerto Rico. So that combined recommendations about innovation, uh, uh, technical education, but also uh, transparency and governing, civic participation, digital identity, uh, and and all of those recommendations you can see in they they went through quite a process, including uh, uh, consideration by the governor. So he was the one who ultimately uh, approved and put out the recommendations. We just provided suggestions, uh, but but really being able to tap into that wider PCI network as we were thinking about these big questions, that was the value that, that PCI brought, was just the collective knowledge of so many folks around the globe. And it's, it's important for audience uh, to reflect on the fact that one in two people on earth have, don't have access to the internet. So, you know, it's critically important for us maybe at this juncture to think about putting humanity at the center of the internet, knowing that there's a whole, you know, there's three and a half billion plus, maybe even more, that uh, are yet to experience the impact of the internet. Um, so what are the PCI's uh, thoughts and initiatives around increasing connectivity to the other half? So you're absolutely right, Vala, that right now we're, we're, we're just under 50% 
uh, estimates are that by March of next year, 2019, we'll hit the tipping point where now half of the humans on the planet have the internet. Wow. What's even more interesting is statistics are that in another four to five years, we'll get that up to being 85% while the human population continues wow. to grow. Wow. So we're talking about anywhere between two, 2.5, 3 billion people Billions. coming online in the next four to five years, which is a massive wave. And so what we're trying to do with PCI is actually uh, on December 10th, there's an event called Our People-Centered Digital Future. Uh, Marcy's been very December much December 10th this year. And really what we're trying to do is think about how we can make sure the internet remains a force for good in people's lives, how it continues to uplift people's lives. Uh, December 10th is also 70 years since the UN Declaration of Human Rights. And so it's going to be an interesting timing. And then actually, Ray, you may want to talk a little bit about how we've been talking with the United Nations and, and, and getting them on board with this as well. Oh, yeah, I think, and, and not too hard since certain individuals are a little bit sensitive to that at the moment, <laughs> as you probably saw in the email. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're looking at really, um, we're working with the United Nations. Um, it is December 10th. It's the 70th anniversary of the Declaration of Human Rights. Um, it's timed in to talk about this. And I think there's a larger issue about what happens with inherent personal data and how that inherent personal data becomes maybe eventually a property right, maybe personally a human right, maybe part of the Declaration of the Human Rights that are out there. And, and I think there's, there's an emphasis really talking about what that means. What does human rights mean in a digital age? So that's an area that's being covered. And, and Scott Campbell, one of the representatives for the UN, uh, is going to be there. And it is a United Nations sanctioned event, uh, which, is, which is really exciting as well. So, Where's the location? I know the date. Where, where is the event? All right. So this is the big announce. I, the website's coming soon. <laughs> It is December 10th at the Fairmount San Jose. We only have room for about just under a thousand people there. And uh, we expect it to uh, be a very, very interesting event. Uh, we've got headliners there, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, uh, Vince Cerf, of course. Uh, we've got uh, Wozniak. Um, and I think uh, we'll, we'll, we think we've got some other folks, some big hitters in there. So um, I'll let David name some of them and Marcy as well. So. So, so yeah. let me get this straight. The inventor of the web in 94, the inventor of TCP IP and the godfather of the internet, and the co-founder of the most valuable company ever. Okay, that's, that's uh, <laughs> so it's not a little event. <laughs> that's a pretty, and we have uh, Dame Wendy Hall, who did a lot of work with the internet. We have uh, the, uh, folks from the ITU. So it, it really is going to be a star-studded cast. And and, and as, as, as Ray mentioned, you know, we can probably debate as to what human rights should look like in the 21st century. However, I think everybody there would agree, at least on the basics in terms of freedom of speech, uh, freedom to actually assemble, freedom to protest, freedom to actually have your voice be heard, and at the same time, make sure the internet does not become a surveillance state. And so these are all things that we really need to be thinking about as we think about the next 2.53 billion people coming on, as well as those people that are already online, how we can make sure that the internet is better for them as well. Right. And avoid I think everyone agrees that, that a point of reflection is, is needed right now. Yes. And I think, uh, Ray, your, your work in bringing these amazing pioneers together, as well as the, you know, the next generation uh, to think about and, and learn from what came before, but really look back and think, you know, are we, are we happy with what's been built and how are we going to conduct ourselves going forward? And what are the big questions we need to be asking? Because the technology that we're building now is enshrining our values and our philosophies. And, and we, we need to talk about what those are 
uh, and, and also just create the connections uh, for continuing that conversation uh, in the coming years. I think that's a very important point. The, the day is set up to be a day of reflection about what the future should look like. We've brought in the pioneers to, to kind of set the stage, but also talk about what's worked, what's not, and, and about you know, two-thirds of the programming is to talk about the future and, and what that mm-hmm. future could hold and, and how we can shape that future together. So we have one of the 100 most creative people in business as our guest. So Marcy, how do we create a- <laughs> That was just one year. They do the list every year. That's, you know, that's permanent. That's, that's, that's permanent. I was really creative in 2012. <laughs> the other three of us here have never had that amazing- uh, We're still stri- looking for internal that's creative. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray's trying to be the most creative in his house. Uh, but, uh, but, but how do we creatively um, have a call to action or a challenge or we have these extraordinary people in, in, the, in, the, in as, as, as speakers and innovators and folks that are going to inspire us uh, and maybe we don't want the reveal now I'm, 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 we're creating breaking I was just about to say Ray am I allowed to say yeah, yeah, yeah. you can say whatever you want go but, for it but, you know, I, mean, I would just think that you have some of the greatest pioneers that have launched the internet era and so it's an opportunity for us to walk away with not just reflection but what can we do perhaps in the near term to make a difference. Are there any thoughts about the narrative built around a call to action for those of us who are going to be lucky enough to be there? Hopefully I'm one of them. <laughs> so, Invited. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to set this up and then toss over to David and Ray because I, I there, there is a, an announcement that, that, that comes with this, but I just want to echo Ray's point that uh, the day is a, is a, a moment of reflection. Also the creation of, of kind of formalizing the network, uh, that can and and opening the invitation because of course the people gathered there and the people who join online that day will not be uh, the only ones who participate in this this ongoing conversation. It needs to be far and wide and broad and deep, uh, and uh, there there will be some uh, really exciting uh, uh, ways that to to continue this. And so over to you, boys. <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to catch that uh, that softball you tossed and and say. I think it actually it was a really great conversation that led up on this episode, first talking about that first we need time to think about these issues, that right now mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot of emotion and angst about people saying, well, why does the platform do that? Or why does this social media do this? Why are they doing that with our data? You see a lot of anger and frustration, and, and that makes headlines. Right. But it doesn't translate into what can we learn from this and what can we do better together as communities and societies? And to think that we're going to solve it in one day, no, I mean, that's not the point. It really is to sort of say, what can we do as part of what we're calling People-Centered Internet Challenge Awards to try and be focusing on 2019, 2020, what can we do to reward and recognize those who are not just getting angry, but are actually translating whatever their concerns are into actually delivering new solutions for us as communities, as societies. And it's almost like the old adage of don't get mad, get glad. Uh, it's like, what can we do as positive change agents to take what we see that we don't think is right, could be better, and learn from and do better from and be better stewards for the future generations? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about my own son. I'm sure all of us are thinking about our own children. How can we make sure 2030 is a better internet and a better web for them than, than what we currently have today? And Digital Puerto Rico Project, you have some tangible work that's happening that I'm sure will help create that narrative of best practice 
and what we should be thinking about. Uh, so it was called PCI Challenge Awards. That's the, is, did I get that right? That's the tentative name. We haven't completely branded it. In fact, we would defer to you, Vala, as, as chief evangelist. If you have a better branding or hashtag for it, we are open I'm, to your ideas. It's funny. I was actually thinking about hashtag because as soon as you revealed some of the we need a hashtag. luminaries that are that are going to be there, it's sure to trend on 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 all social media. So. I'm happy to help in any way I can. What an amazing event. Wow. Thank you, Val. Appreciate it. So how do people get involved? Um, what, are the, what, what, what do we want to see out of this event? So I think first and foremost, we want people to, I mean, check out our website. It's www.peoplecentered.net. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, from there, there's also links to, 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 to follow the event. And I think, Ray, you can share details. I don't know if registration's open yet, but it should be soon, and we'll share details there. And also, though, recognizing, again, we want to do twofold is we don't want to just have it be the, the people that are fortunate enough to be there. We want people both before the event, during the event, and after the event to be sharing their thoughts about what a more people-centered internet would look like mm -hmm. and how it could be more pluralistic of different views and accepting of different views. And then we should also think about those people that aren't connected to the internet. Uh, I know I actually want to give a shout out to Trish Wong. There's other people that have been thinking about how they can bring in views from other people in other countries that aren't online yet and sort of describe the metaphor of what the internet could be and get their feedback so that we're not trying to assume for them we know what they want the, their experiences to be with a more people-centered internet. Yeah, and I, I want to give a lot of work to credit to Marcy and David. They've been doing an awesome job on the agenda, lining it up, getting the right people there. Uh, we've got a great board uh, on the PCI team from Vin to Maylin to, uh, to uh, uh, Len to uh, Eric, all those guys, uh, they're doing some great stuff as well. Um, to get involved, I think right now we, we are looking for great sponsors, people who do believe uh, in what that future of the internet could be and, and really want to be part of that discussion and dialogue. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to need some volunteers. Uh, it's it's going to be quite an event, uh, especially mm -hmm. December 10th at the Fairmont in San Jose. And it's going to be live streamed. We want to get people to watch, right? And I think Google and YouTube are, are providing the live stream services for the event. We even have... Um, uh, disability accessibility services that are going to be there. Uh, Level Access is going to be sponsoring uh, the sign language and some of the uh, closed captioning translation as well. So uh, this is going to be quite the event uh, for, the, for the record books. That's amazing. All right, my final question to you, David and Marcy. Um, I would have severe imposter syndrome working with Vint Cerf or mainly you know, CRM of the God, godmother of CRM and the godfather of internet. Tell us what it feels like or you know some experiences that you have working with two icons like how, how it must be pretty cool marcy do you want to go first I, yeah i mean i i it, it's it's fabulous they're both so down to earth and and accessible but i remember maybe like the first or second week that we were all collaborating and vent wrote back something on an email that was very uh you know very uh casual and and my first uh inclination was just to send back a thumbs up and i thought oh my gosh i'm sending an emoticon to the guy who did it is that allowed well um, that is but, not allowed but I'm like, <laughs> i can't imagine doing that but you guys are close so that's pretty awesome wow Wow, that's they're, so they're I would amplify what Marcy says. I mean, very oh down to earth. Uh, Vint loves his puns, and so you'll occasionally get a pun in one of his emails that just makes you laugh. Uh, and at the same time, too, when we meet in person, uh, you know, Vint loves his three his three piece suits, 
uh, what's not known is he wears his three-piece suits even on weekends. Like he came to visit once at my place and it was a casual visit so that he and his wife could meet our son Dylan. And sure enough, he's in a three-piece suit. So awesome. I've never been guy. in a room or anywhere where he wasn't the best dressed person. So yeah, that's... that is it. <laughs> yeah. We so are here. <laughs> we are here live with David Bray, Marcy Harris, um, on the boards of People Centered Internet. Marcy Harris is the CEO and co-founder of Popbox. I don't know. Do you have a Twitter handle, Marcy? Yes, sir. I'm at Marcy Dale, M-A-R-C-I-D-A-L-E. Oh, cool. Right. We see it on the screen as well. And uh, David has given up on Twitter, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. No, but you can find him on PCI. Uh, PCI Time to think. Time to think. It, it's true. I'm being bombarded. I probably have 300 emails I haven't hit and I've totally ignored LinkedIn and Twitter and I don't know what else. Like I've got like messages off the wazoo. But hey, David, Marcy, thank you so much for being on the show. Happy Friday. Uh, and, and here's to the wonderful December 10th event ahead of us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bella. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Bye. December 10th. It is now official. We have now talked about it. This is the... Uh, uh, the event we've been talking about, some really awesome guests. Watch for this. Uh, we had some uh, little peeks, sneak peeks into it. And uh, more importantly, it is coming up fast. So next week is a special week for you, Vala. What are we doing next week? I mean, what do people do on that week? Actually, there's a lot of events that week, but uh, one of them that's near and dear to your heart is... Almost 3,000 sessions hosting 171,000 uh, registered attendees at Dreamforce in San Francisco. I look forward to seeing you, Ray and all the folks that we are connected with and we admire. So we will not have a show next week because, you know, both of us are, uh, it's conference season and certainly next week is going to be busy for both of us. But we will return October 5th. So we will be back in two weeks, episode 124. And we're going to have Dr. Talib Ralph, professor and former venture capital and author of Nothing Ventured, Everything Gained. We'll have Kim Chris Ford, author and managing director of Deloitte Greenhouse Experience Team. The book is called Business Chemistry, Practical Magic for Crafting Powerful Work Relationships. And we will have one of our favorite return guests, Ron Miller, enterprise reporter at TechCrunch. So off next week, back, back in a big way on October 5th. And we have a number of shows for the rest of the Fridays in 2000. Uh, 18 and uh, we'll be live streaming. I know I'll be live streaming at the Constellation Connect conference at Half Moon Bay Ritz Carlton, three four hundreds of the brightest uh, business leaders in the world. And of course, December 10th, my goodness, uh, and uh, you it, must, now. must watch <laughs> events. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Well, hey, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll see you October 5th. See you, everyone. <laughs>